Hello everyone, Lee Arnold here with another edition of Country Music Conversations. Today's guest is the late Keith Whitley. I would classify Keith as one of the top neo-traditionalists of the 80s, alongside of George Strait, Randy Travis, Alan Jackson, and Ricky Skaggs. Born in Kentucky in July 1954, he was destined to be a star. He sowed his oats as a teenager, drinking bootlegged bourbon and racing cars at dangerous speeds. While in high school, Keith won a musical contest that included Ricky Skaggs, and they formed a band together. Bluegrass legend Ralph Stanley heard them sing and asked them to join his band, and Keith became the lead singer. In the mid-70s, he joined J.D. Crow in the New South and earned his stripes as one of the lead singers in bluegrass. Keith admits his main influences were Carter Stanley and Lefty Frizzell. Keith moved to Nashville in 1983, and after having three successful albums with J.D. Crow, he was signed to a record deal with RCA. His first album, A Hard Act to Follow, was not received that well from country radio. In 1985, with the release of L.A. to Miami, he scored a top 20 hit with Miami, My Amy, followed by three more hit songs, 10 Feet Away, Homecoming 63, and Hard Living. During his tour to promote L.A. to Miami, he met country singer Lori Morgan, and they married in 1986 and had one son, Jesse, born in 1987. Keith also adopted Lori's daughter, Morgan, from her first marriage. During 1987, Keith recorded several songs, most of which he did not like. He felt they weren't up to his standards and subsequently was given creative control over all his material. The result was an album called Don't Close Your Eyes, and it was a big success. The first three singles released were number one hits and included Don't Close Your Eyes, When You Say Nothing At All, and I'm No Stranger to the Rain. Don't Close Your Eyes surfaced as Billboard magazine's number one country song in 1988. Shortly thereafter, I'm No Stranger to the Rain earned Keith his first and only CMA award as a solo artist, and also a Grammy nomination for Best Country Vocal Performance. In early 1989, Keith approached RCA chairman Joe Galati to release a single Lefty Brazil had written and recorded. It was called I Never Go Around Mirrors. Joe suggested he record something new and more upbeat. The result was I Wonder Do You Think of Me. On May 9, 1989, Keith Whitley passed away at the young age of 34 from alcohol poisoning. Posthumously, RCA released Do You Ever Think of Me? Now, isn't it ironic that at this year's CMAs, Keith Whitley and Joe Galante will both be inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame? I had the pleasure and honor not only of knowing Keith, but interviewing him on several occasions. This first conversation we'll hear was when Keith visited me at WHN Radio in New York. And the second interview was during Country Radio Seminar in Nashville back in the late 80s. 
and a few weeks later, in May of 1989, he was gone. But before we start this conversation, here are a few words from our sponsor. Country Music Conversations with Lee Arnold's podcast is made possible by our sponsor, MarketSmith, Inc., the digital media agency that's been growing brands like Toomey, Shark Ninja, New Jersey Lottery, PSE&G, Blue Mercury Cosmetics, and Dick Sporting Goods. You know what makes this agency so good at what they do? Because simply being a marketing agency is no longer enough. Solution-based, problem-solving, and ever-evolving, they create enduring value for DTC and B2B brands by opening up and growing marketing channels. Their patented AI offerings, informed by human intelligence, allow them to act with agility and intellect. I was speaking with the CEO not too long ago, and she was saying they take on clients who know who they are, who want to grow, and clients that know what they want. These big brands choose MarketSmith because they want to merge with a partner who'll make them exceptional and an agency that will grow their revenue. Digital marketing is not easy, but MarketSmith Inc. knows when to make the media dollars work hard for their clients. You have a brand you want to grow? Well, contact MarketSmith.com and tell them Lee Arnold sent you. Here now on Country Music Conversations, Keith Whitley. My good buddy Keith Whitley is with us. Hi, Keith. Hi, Lee. Pleasure to be here. We've been looking forward to this for a long time. Oh, boy. And you're up here for a very special reason tonight. All the folks are going to have a chance to not only uh, see you, but also hear you down at the Lone Star Cafe. Big Lone show. Star Cafe. Yeah, we've been looking forward to playing that for, for some time. That's one of the places that you hear so much about, and we've been real excited about getting the chance to work there. So we want to invite all the folks to come out and be with us tonight. It's probably one of the most outstanding clubs in New York for country, and Mort Cooperman has done a great job over the years down there. Like they say, too much is not enough, and you'll <laughs> you'll have plenty of that down the Lodestone. Oh, great. Have you played Texas Honky Tonks? Oh, I've played every Texas Honky Tonk, I think. Have you played a couple of Skull Orchards in your life? You better believe it. I've played the, the ones like uh, in the movie The Blues Brothers with right. the chicken wire around it. I've played a few say, of those. The only thing missing down the Lodestone is a chicken wire. If things get rough, they may have to put some up tonight. <laughs> but we're looking forward to seeing you down there tonight, and all the fans are. You know, Keith, you are one who makes no bones about being country. I mean, there are a lot of artists that say they're country artists, but uh, for the most part, they, they do almost all kinds of country material, including crossover. But I don't think we have uh, the risk of Keith Whitley ever going over the fence for us. I don't, not intentionally, that's for sure. Now, I, I was uh, born and raised uh, doing the kind of music that I'm doing now. It's always been my first love, and I'm real happy. I'm one of the few people that, that are getting the chance to do exactly what they've always wanted to do. Ever since I've been a little kid, this is a dream of mine. And uh, we're real excited with the way our career's been moving for the past year and a half, and we just want to try to keep it headed in that direction. First real, one of the first big successes in your career, it really a turning point, was a song called Miami, My Amy. It sure was. What a jewel that was. I knew it and was it a is. hit. Yeah, yeah, I knew it was a hit when I first heard it. The song was written by Dean Dillon and Hank Cochran. And I couldn't wait to get in the studio and record it and then 
everything just came together, and it was my first national hit record, and it really turned things around for us. I bet it means an awful lot to a lot of people wherever you've played. Have you ever done that in Miami when you played Miami? You know, I have not played Miami you since haven't. that record uh, was a hit. But, wow. uh, you know, I've played uh, some in Florida, and uh, the song just gets a tremendous response, and I still hear it on the radio all across the country. You know, even though we've had several records since then, uh, people still are playing that song, and I'm, I love it. A lot of Amy's come up to you and say, I love that song. You better believe it. As a matter of <laughs> fact, if our baby uh, had been a girl, uh, we were going to name it Amy. Uh-huh. But it's going to be a little boy. We, it is going to be a little You already know boy. beforehand, mm-hmm. she, uh, Lori had that uh, little uh, examination that right. can determine the sex yeah, of the baby. It's gonna be As everybody boy. knows, you're married to Lori Morgan. Right. And uh, you're expecting a baby around when is it? June, June the 17th. Isn't that great? How's Lori feeling? She's feeling pretty good, Lee. She has uh, good days and bad days. You know, it's getting yeah. heading down that home stretch. Yeah, but, you may uh, have a fanfare baby. Very possible. <laughs> very possible. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, we wish you all the very best. Let's kick it off now with the song that everybody remembers called Miami, My Amy. Sounds like a winner What was the feeling you had when you went in the studio and you cut this? It was just magic. It really was. Everything came together. The song was there. The, the musicians got excited. Uh, everything came together. Our special guest here with Lee, live in the studio, visiting with stars Keith Whitley. Keith, uh, I guess early in your career, your, your background was very important to where you are today as a, as a performer because you, you had some pretty interesting uh, jobs going sure back, did. way back when. Aside from being a country singer. Right. What were some of the things you had to do to become a country singer when you weren't picking and singing? Well, I was a country singer first, as uh, you and I have talked about before. And then at about age 14, I got into bluegrass music and teamed up with uh, another young gentleman from eastern Kentucky by the name of Ricky Skaggs. (laughs) Ricky and I started a band together, and uh, we had a little local radio show. And then we started touring with Ralph Stanley's band. I remember that. That was my, actually, I guess my first professional job was with Ralph Stanley, and I was about 14 years of age at the time. Wow. So I got a pretty good uh, education uh, on the road in a hurry and uh, met a lot of real interesting folks, uh, became uh, good friends with people like Lester Flatt and Bill Monroe and some of those kinds of people who were pioneers in, in their field. And uh, I'm real proud of the uh, relationship that I uh, developed with Lester Flat. Lester gave me an old guitar that he had used for many years. It's, really? a, it's a 1943 uh, D28 Martin. Wow. Uh, that was on several uh, of the old Flat & Scruggs albums, and I, yeah. I have that guitar now. Boy, what, what, a, what a jewel that is. Yeah, that. it Talk really about. is. I'm really proud of that. And then it's after, a relic. It sure is. Yeah. After working with Ralph Stanley, then I worked with J.D. Crow mm-hmm. uh, in the New South, kind of a uh, progressive bluegrass group out of Lexington, Kentucky, and mm-hmm. then that's the group I was working with when... Uh, I recorded an album called Somewhere Between that came to the attention of some of the record labels in Nashville, mm-hmm. one of them being RCA. So I moved down in, uh, in 1983. How did bluegrass help you establish yourself as a traditional country singer? Because bluegrass has always been considered kind of the stepsister of country. It's kind of sitting there in the outside. Right. It doesn't have the commercial appeal that mainstream country does. How did you make that adjustment of the transition? Well, for me... Uh, it wasn't really uh, that much of an adjustment because uh, I had been a country singer first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Bluegrass was something that I got into later on really as a way to get into a band. Mm. Uh, there were no steel players, drummers, or anything like that around Sandy Hook, Kentucky. So I couldn't get in a band unless I started uh, playing bluegrass music. And my brother already had a, a little bluegrass band, so that's really how I got into bluegrass. So it was really not a... Not a change for me, you know, uh, getting back into country music. That was what I grew up on. 
you're really a man with vision. Blake Nevis, your producer and yourself, had the had the uh, uh, the good fortune and also the, the the optimistic view and the vision to see a hit before it became a hit. Uh, you recorded in your first album, uh, the Randy Travis hit called "On the Other Hand." Sure you did. also recorded uh, another uh, Randy Travis. What was he? That was the George Strait George Strait song. song. Nobody in his no, right mind. That's right. right. Yeah, we did. Nobody uh, in his right mind was on your first album too. So you, you really knew a couple of hit songs when you heard them. They're out of the ten songs on that album. Seven of those songs were singles, either for us or someone else. So that's a pretty good track record there. One of your big hits recently was a song called Ten Feet Away, which you also did a video on, didn't you? No. No, we the did. video was the other one. The video right? uh, was Homecoming. That's Homecoming, the one that right. Lori's in with me. Right. And, yeah. and black and white at the high school. In the right. Home. But Ten Feet Away, you talk about your perfect quintessential country ballad. That one says it all, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think that that would have made a great video. Yeah, uh, I wish we could have done one on that, but... Uh, uh, we didn't. We had a uh, concert clip out on Miami, Miami, and then we did our first conceptual video with Homecoming '63. But Ten Feet Away became my first top ten record, and uh, it was a big hit for us. We still get an awful lot of requests for it. We'll probably do it at least twice at the Lone Star tonight. What's the special thing about Ten Feet Away that you always remember about that song? To me, uh, there's so many people. We work so many clubs, and there's so many people that come up to me and say, "I feel like that song was written about me." And Don't we all? Yeah, really. <laughs> Here it is. Keith Whitley in 10 Feet Away. Live in the studio with Lee at 1138. We all know, Keith, I mentioned uh, just touching it before that Lori Morgan is your wife. And, she sure is. And she's probably one of the most delightful young ladies I think the country music has ever had and comes from a, a great line of, of country tradition. I happened to... Uh, to know her daddy long before I knew uh, Lori, the late and great George Morgan. And I always had a, a very soft uh, part in my heart for George. Uh, I don't think I've ever told anybody this, but I always felt that George Morgan kind of got cheated in the, the entire scope of country music. Because aside from the great uh, career that he had, and he had a very successful career as an artist and also on the Grand Ole Opry and as a performer, I felt he was cheated a little bit and overshadowed because he came at a time when there were a lot, when he was overshadowed by a big ballad singer by the name of Eddie Arnold. Right. And his career was kind of overshadowed by Eddie's because they kind of coincided because mm -hmm. George was probably one of the most hellacious ballad singers the, the world ever knew. Oh, he had a great one, voice. He sure did. One of the greatest characters I ever knew in my life as far as practical jokers were concerned. Every time I go to the Opry, I, I hear a George Morgan story, and there's some hilarious stories. But he was one of those kind of guys that everybody liked. You know, you don't find anybody that has a bad thing to say about George Morgan. Everybody loved him. I always remember him smiling, slapping everybody on the back, and just one of the most genial personable people I ever knew. Well, you know, it's real interesting and ironic. I worked uh, at the Grand Ole Opry when I was uh, 14 years old with Ralph Stanley. Mm -hmm. And the person that I talked the most to that night was George Morgan. Really? Yeah. It's like he singled me out of the band because I was so young. And he was cutting up with me and telling me a lot of little stories and everything. And, and I thought about that years later, that it's <laughs> ironic I wound up marrying his daughter. That's incredible. That's a beautiful story. We're talking before about the video of Homecoming 63, which it, which it did. And uh, that, that's a very special song. As far as nostalgia is concerned, I think everybody can relate to that. High school days and homecomings. Definitely. My did brother you? graduated in 1963. So I thought of him when I first heard the song, you know. And I can remember, you know, him going to his uh, homecoming dance, the car he drove and everything, you know. And it, it brings back a lot of memories to me every time I sing the song. What are your memories of high school yourself? 
Well, my memories of high school are probably quite a bit different from a lot of folks. I was already on the road in a country music <laughs> band, and I would get in a lot of times on Monday morning just in time to shower and get ready to go back to school. So uh, music was already the uh, the biggest factor in my life at that point. So uh, I missed out on a lot of the uh, things that I only went to one of my proms, I think. So I missed a lot of it. But uh, You may have missed a lot of that stuff, but you made up for it with the music, right? I think so. Uh, we were talking about lots of good stuff happening in your career, Keith, that aside from uh, all your great hits, you got a couple of new ones under the belt that uh, will be released in July. New album coming out? We have a, a new album. I just finished uh, the vocal tracks uh, this week, and uh, we're starting to mix the album next week. The album is scheduled at this point for a September release, but I'll have a brand new single from the new album uh, out in July. And you're kind of a little very, bit excited about that. I am real excited about it. I, I'm probably more excited over this than anything I've ever done. What's so special about it? What's the title? Well, first off, it's a great song. It's a song. The title of the song is Would These Arms Be In Your Way? Mm. And it was written by Hank Cochran, who's also one of the co-writers on Miami, Miami. And another gentleman by the name of Vern Gosson, who's one of my favorite singers. So after we recorded the song, uh, we thought about getting Vern to sing harmony on it. And I had always wanted to have Amy Lou Harris sing on a record with me. And I knew she and Vern did quite a bit of work together. Yes. So Blake and I decided to have Amy Lou and Vern both sing harmony on the record. And it is magical. It really is. It sounds like something. I can't wait to hear it. It's really, it's a real traditional country song. And their voices. The the blend is really really unique, and I'm real excited about the record. Oh, that that sounds! I can't wait to hear that. Sounds great. Emmy Lou Harrison, Vern Gosling, and Keith Whitley. Now, boy, how gonna how you gonna top that one? Uh, what kind of things? I never really saw you perform yet, and tonight will be the first time. Uh, I know that uh, you do all your hits in your show. What other kind of material do you do in there? Do you need a lot touch of people on bluegrass? Are, yeah. Well, no, I really don't because. Uh, uh, you know, as you and I have talked uh, on several occasions, uh, that was a music that I got into later. Right. And uh, I was influenced a lot by bluegrass music, but most of the influence is uh, my interpretation of a song or the, the feeling that I put in a song. That's really the only thing that I've carried over into the music that I play now. But uh, a lot of people are surprised by my show because I do a lot of up-tempo uh -huh. Songs. I was heavily influenced by the old Jerry Lee Lewis and uh, oh, that type yeah. of thing. So there's there's a lot of that in my show. Uh, plus, with the hits, it makes for a pretty entertaining mixture. One of the cuts on them, I know you always go back because you have a fondness for a lot of great standards, and you pick one of my all-time favorites, a Johnny Bond cut if you, uh, in one of your albums called uh, I Wonder Where You Are Tonight. And we do that one, too. Ooh. Beautiful song. What a great song. Yeah, I have really sung that song with every band that I've ever performed with, so it's it was a, neat it's a magical a chance song. to record it. It sure is. And everybody in country has recorded that at one mm -hmm. time or another, I mean, going back through the years. You say you have a fondness for up-tempo. Up-tempo is something you don't, you haven't done too much uh, as far as hit records are concerned, no. but, but your latest certainly is up-tempo. It it's definitely is up-tempo. It's called Hard Living. Tell us about it. That's a song that I heard on an Austin City Limits, West Texas Riders Night. A guy by the name of David Halley sang the song, and I thought it was a really neat song, so I worked it up. I do it quite a bit different from the way it was written, and I started to close my shows with it probably a year before I ever got the chance to record it, and the folks at RCA liked it. And uh, I was real excited just to get the chance to record it, and I was especially excited when I found out it was going to be a single. And it's done real well for us. It's it's been super. I mean, you you just do it, 
it to perfection. And when I first heard, it's funny how you compare, not compare things, but think of people. I said, thank goodness Keith Whitley is around today to do a song like that, because I can imagine 20 years ago, I could hear Farron Young doing that. You know, the, one of the things that I, I appreciate <laughs> that, I really do, Farron Young is one of my favorite singers. Uh, one of the things I like about that song, you don't hear very many country records anymore that have a yodel in it, and that's got one all through it. There is a lost And I'm proud of that What fact. became of Kenny Roberts and Elton Britt and uh, uh, I'm trying to... Jeannie Shepard used to do a lot of yodeling in Iraq. Jean still does. Uh, Christy Lane yeah, does right. it in Iraq. I'm trying to think who else forgot me. Patsy Montana, of course, who mm-hmm. want to be a cowboy sweetheart and all the red. Rosalie Allen, everybody else. But thank goodness. The yodels are back to stay. And Keith Whitley, thank you for joining us. He at the Lone Star tonight. Thank you, Lee. And we'll see you in Nashville. At Fanfare. At Fanfare. Good luck with the blessed event and our love to Lori. I sure will. Thank the you, The babies do around June 17th. 17th of June. See you soon. Thanks, Keith. Keith and yours truly at WHN back in 1987. Now let's fast forward to my final conversation with Keith in Nashville in 1989. Here we go. In Nashville, Lee Arnold with our good friend Keith Whitley who has a good reason to smile these days. I have several good reasons to smile, Lee, and it's great to see you again, by the way. It's always a pleasure to be with you, Keith. Uh, right now, as we speak, I, I cannot think, about just about a year ago at this time, you were telling me about a new song that you had cut that you had great, great feeling for, it, that you had great hopes for. You said, Lee, this is going to be the one. It's called Don't Close Your Eyes. And Keith Whitley, where you write, not so right that it became the song of the year, the biggest country song of 1988. Isn't that great? I still, I can't believe it sometimes, you know. I I, I just think about that and, you know, I think how many great records uh, there were uh, there were in 1988. I just, you know, sometimes I have to pinch myself to, to really make sure I'm not dreaming. But uh, uh, it certainly exceeded our wildest dreams. The entire album did, uh, you know, with Don't Close Your Eyes becoming our first number one record. And then... Uh, when you say nothing at all, another number one record, and then to find out uh, that uh, "Don't Close Your Eyes" was song of the year in both the Billboard and R and R magazine, it's just uh, an incredible, incredible feeling. And and the new record is uh, actually moving faster than uh, than anyone yet. You know, for the time on the charts, it's already uh, I think nine bullet in uh, Billboard and four in R and R. So it's just doing great for us. We're very, 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 very lucky and very, very happy and very grateful. Don't Close Your Eyes, written by Bob McDill. Uh, the song was, was very, very, very special. I mean, a McDill song, I mean, the lyric, what that song said. Uh, I guess almost everybody who ever listened to a country song, or anyone who's never even been a country music fan, could relate to that lyric and the reading that you gave it. Well, I have so many people, uh, almost at every show, come up to me, especially uh, the women and and tell me you know how much that uh, they identify with that song and uh, i think that the female ap- appeal that that song had was probably uh, a large part of the the reason that the, the song did so well i think uh, uh, the women just seem to to really uh, identify with that song and i've been uh, i've been told by a few people that uh, that i tore down a few barriers with that song you know that song was about three years old and uh, i couldn't figure out why the song hadn't been recorded before and uh, I was talking to Doyle Brown at uh, Welk Music who had pitched me the song and he said that he felt most of the uh, singers uh, prior to this uh, uh, time felt that maybe they were a little too macho to say uh, you know don't close your eyes and admit that you know the the, their uh, lover was thinking about someone else but uh, 
uh, obviously that's what uh, maybe they were wanting to hear. So I, I'm I'm very proud of the song and, and, and proud that no one else recorded it and that they saved it for us. The follow-up to that, as you said, was another number one song, When You Say Nothing At All. Uh, was there any particular feeling that that would go to the heights that it did, Keith? Did you believe in that as much as Don't Close Your Eyes, that would be a number one favorite? Well, I think initially that I was, uh, you know, probably more excited over over Don't Close Your Eyes. I think I was probably more excited over Don't Close Your Eyes than any record I'd ever recorded. But, uh, you know, we were scheduled to have uh, another single come out uh, following uh, Don't Close Your Eyes. But when that song did so well, then we started looking uh, at a follow-up uh, with also maybe, uh, you know, more female appeal. And the logical choice was... Uh, was uh, was when you say nothing at all. So when it came time for that song to be released, I think I was probably uh, had about as much uh, faith in that song as, as I did Don't Close Your Eyes, and it certainly uh, didn't disappoint us. Did you have a special feeling for that in the studio when you cut it? Well, I did, Lee, uh, because when I first got the uh, the demo of that song, we were on our way to, uh, to Indiana to do a, a show at a place called the... Uh, uh, Nashville, uh, Little Nashville Opry, I think, is the name of the place. And I was listening to the song on the bus, and it was, uh, of course, a Don Schlitz, Paul Overstreet song, and it just was a guitar vocal demo. And uh, the harmony uh, on it was just beautiful, and that's I think that's what attracted me to, me to the song, because I love uh, spending as many years as I did in bluegrass. I love harmony singing. And uh, also the song, really, uh, the lyric content is, you know, very close to, to my current personal mm -hmm. situation with the way that Lori and I feel about each other. And that was another thing that attracted me to the song. And uh, I, I, like I say, I believed in the song very much. I, I don't think that initially I thought, uh, you know, probably it would be as big a record as what it was. But, but uh, by the time it was scheduled to be released, I was thoroughly convinced that it would be a big record. You've got a little competition in the family now. Your wife, Lori, big hit with Trainwreck of Emotion. She's watching the charts the same way you are. Yeah. To see who's going to get to number one first. Yeah, we were, you know, we'd, we'd call over on uh, on Thursday evening and, uh, you know, where'd, where'd my record go and where'd Lori's record go? You know, I, I was so, uh, so proud of uh, the success she had with, with, with her first record. You know, to get a top 20 record your first time out, that's, uh, that's quite a feat, you know. Is that going to play a difficult problem with the marriage, you think, her Pursuing a recording career, you're out on the road so much. How's that going to affect the marriage? Will it affect it at all? Well, I certainly hope not. Uh, that's something that we're uh, very aware of. And the fact that we have uh, the same uh, management, uh, Jack McFadden, of course, manages uh, both uh, Lori and I. And uh, they're uh, very aware of the fact that we uh, place our uh, marriage and our personal life first and the career comes second. And... Uh, they're striving to, to have both of us working at the same time. Lori doesn't intend to work as much as I'm working, and uh, they're, they're working on, uh, you know, booking her at the same time that we're already out mm -hmm. so we won't be meeting each other in the hallway. And I think it's going to work out fine. You know, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, I think if you have your priorities uh, in order and if the, if the family life is important to you, as it is both of us, I think it can be done uh, because there's been very... Uh, many positive things come out of the fact, as I've told you before, that we're both in the same business because it's hard a lot of times for uh, someone to understand some of the things and some of the demands that are placed on us if you haven't uh, gone through it or, or if you haven't had someone close to you go through it. And Lori saw all this, you know, of course, with her father. Mm -hmm. And in fact, she's been in it since she was 13. Uh, it, it, I think it's really helped us. But uh, you can let things get out of hand, you know, because uh, people want you to do 
you know, it's always like uh, you got to do this, you got, you got to do that, and it's a life and death situation if you don't. But but it's really not. You know, sometimes you just got to say, well, uh, we need time for each other, and and uh, take a little time. And if you do that, and and like I say, all the people around us are aware of how we feel about each other, and uh, and uh, Jack is kind of really more like a father to both of us than a manager. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that there will be problems, but uh, no more than than we would have if we were Wherever. both in sales or whatever, you know. It's just a, uh, a lot of people uh, think that this business is so different from any other business, but the pressures that, uh, you know, I think anyone, if they're if they're successful and if they have a, uh, a career that they're, uh, you know, concerned and proud of, you know, they got the same pressures, you know. It's just a little different setting, maybe in a little different situation, but uh, you just got to learn to manage it. Current single is doing exceptionally well, as you mentioned. Probably the fastest rising single you've had in the history of your recording career. A little story behind the song on this one, Keith? Well, this is, uh, it's, it's kind of funny to say it's autobiographical since I didn't write the song, but it, it really is in, in a lot of ways because the subject matter of the song and the, and the topic and the things that it deals with are some things that I've had some uh, firsthand information with. You know, a lot of the, uh, uh, the uh, hard hard times and, and overcoming uh, uh, some uh, adversity and uh, uh, battling the devil from one time or another, which I've done, and uh, usually in the, in liquid form, as as you well know. Uh, the song, uh, when I first heard it, the line that uh, attracted me to it was, uh, you know, I fought with the devil, got down on his level, but I never gave in, so he gave up on me. And that certainly uh, sums it up for me. And uh, that was really really the reason that I recorded it. And uh, uh I got to be honest, I didn't look at that song uh, as a single when, when we first cut it. I thought, you know, this is going to be one of those songs that's going to be a, a great album cut and probably going to get a lot of requests for, but I don't know if it'll be something that, uh, you know, uh, radio would pick up on enough to, you know, to have it uh, warrant being a single. And I'm just so proud of the, of the fact that, that it has, you know, and, and to see it, uh, you know, take off as fast as it has. Like I say, it's gone in uh, in a very short period of time. It's uh, it's nine bullet and billboard and four and R and R. So I'm I'm very excited about it. And I and I think I notice about as much uh, uh, interest uh, or comments from fans on this this record. I have people that identify with this record probably uh, as much as as anything uh, that we've ever had out. It's an incredible song. What a strong message. This is the second uh, Sonny Curtis, Ron Hillard song that I've recorded. Uh, we did a song on our uh, last album uh, called That Stuff that was uh, a little bit more of a, of a novelty type song. But they uh, they come up with some real unique songs when they write together, and they're both uh, good friends of mine. And uh, when Garth, uh, Garth Fundus, my co-producer, actually found this song for me, and I... Like I say, I believed in it from the from the word go, and I'm real happy to see that uh, that it's done uh, so well. It's amazing how how fans have a perception in their mind of of what an artist is from their music. Right. And I guess the minute you hit stage, "Don't Close Your Eyes" will always be a classic Keith Whitley signature song, a career song, as it were. But I think there's also another one which stands out called "My Aunt My Miami My Amy," which fans will always relate and identify with because. That says to them, I remember Keith from the beginning. Yeah, that's the song that started it all for us. That's the song that we uh, we open our shows with, and uh, we get as many requests, believe it or not, for that song as we do. Don't close your eyes, you know, because that was such a big. It was uh, you know 
so much bigger uh, than, than really where it went on the charts. You know, it only made it to, to 14 nationally on the charts, uh, mainly because I, you know, I was having some personal problems at the time, and then that was my first hit record also, which, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think uh, hindered it a little bit as well. But uh, it, it is definitely, uh, you know, one of those, like you say, a signature song, and uh, we get requests for it uh, everywhere we go. And uh, that song and uh, Don't Close Your Eyes uh, are, are my two favorite things that we've recorded well of course with with the exception of of the next single we have coming out that's another story which one is that an old lefty frizzell song called i never go around mirrors i was going to ask you if you ever going to release that that's my favorite look at it. it's underlined right here well that's great. i never go around mirrors i'll tell you what lee when we did this album i uh, i set uh, about three real specific goals which is something i usually don't do i i was talking to Garth outside the uh, studio when we finished up, and I said, well, I hope to have a number one record, and I hope to have a gold album, and I hope to have Mirrors as a single. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we've had uh, two number one records now, and we're a little over halfway uh, toward the uh, the gold album, and uh, I never go around Mirrors, uh, barring some unforeseen uh, change, is going to be our next single. And I'm very, very excited about that. Well, I'm twice as excited to hear the news. <laughs> I tell you, that song, you know, I, this is the second time I've recorded that song. I did that on an old album with a group called J.D. Crow in the New South. Uh, I was a part of uh, from uh, uh, about 1978 till 1981, something like that. And uh, the song's just always been very special to me. And you know my feelings uh, toward Lefty Frizzell. Lefty was probably uh, 80 or 90 percent of the reason that I uh, decided to get in this business. And... Uh, then, of course, the song was co-written by Whitey Schaefer, and to have Whitey write us a new second verse uh, to that song, uh, and then uh, that coupled with the fact we had uh, Lefty's younger brother, Alan, sing harmony on it with us, I, I just think it's a real special song, and I think that's probably uh, the definitive, uh, that that record is, is the way uh, I like to sound. I think that's the definitive Keith Whitley record to date. Lefty Frizzell, as you mentioned, a classic singer, but also a classic songwriter. Uh, I don't think there's anybody who has ever matched the simplicity, the beauty, the realism of his writing, that he, of all the songs he's given us with his track record. of What was it, one time he had four singles in the top ten? Right. Uh, you know, when Lefty's career uh, first uh, took off, uh, and he was so successful, and during that period when you say as he had the, the four uh, uh, songs in the top ten, most all those songs, or all those songs, were original songs. And then he went through like 20 years of recording uh, other people's songs and really uh, a lot of mediocre material. And uh, when he made his comeback again at the uh, on ABC Dot, he started recording his own songs again. You know, a lot of the things that he had written with uh, with Whitey Schaefer and people like that and uh, was becoming very, very successful again, you know, making a real strong comeback when uh, when he uh, died in, in 1975. So uh, uh, Lefty's songwriting, I think, is, is very underrated. You know, a lot of people don't realize, unless you are a, a, a big fan, how many songs that Lefty wrote. You had a great career, Keith, before, this, before you arrived at the point you are now, working with J.D. Crow, the Stanley Brothers, which is a magical name. You say that with reverence. And a bluegrass background, basically, being from Kentucky as you are. What, what did that bring to Keith Whitley's career, the bluegrass background? The main thing that I uh, carried with me, uh, or still carry with me, that I, that I learned in bluegrass music uh, is the is the harmony singing. I, I'm a uh, 
you know, I started out as a very small child playing almost the same, identically the same kind of music that I'm playing now, which was traditional country music. I patterned myself after Lefty Frizzell and, and uh, George, Jones, George Jones, Merle Haggard, Buck Owens, those kind of people. They were my favorite. And then in order to get in a band, when I was about uh, 12 years old, I became interested in bluegrass music. There were several excellent bluegrass bands in uh, uh, the part of Kentucky where I live. And my brother and I had formed a band. Ricky Skaggs became a part of that band and started working with us, and uh, that led to the job with uh, with uh, Ralph Stanley of the original Stanley Brothers. And uh, while you don't hear a lot of uh, bluegrass influence on the surface of my music, uh, the harmony structure, even on songs like uh, Miami, Miami, which was uh, a little more of a contemporary record, the harmony structure on that is basically your you know, uh, old-fashioned bluegrass three-part harmony. And that, that's the main thing that I carry with me. Uh, and I think I learned uh, a lot really just about being uh, a professional, you know, and respecting. I respect this business very much, and that, that's probably the main thing that I learned from, uh, from Ralph uh, Stanley and J.D. Crow. It's amazing. You had a couple of songs you recorded were hits by other people but not by yourself. Nobody in her right mind would, would, have left, would have left her. The George Strait hit. You recorded that first. On the other hand... Randy Travis's hit, you recorded first. Was the timing luck what? Wrong place, wrong time? Well, I don't know. You know, uh, a lot of people uh, talk to me about that. It seemed like that was, uh, that was the main topic of conversation in every interview I did that, that year. <laughs> and I, uh, I really uh, didn't make as, as uh, I really wasn't disappointed by that like a lot of other people was, Lee, because... Uh, while I can't say that I wouldn't have loved to have had a uh, song of the year with, on the other hand and had a number one record with nobody in his right mind would have left her, uh, that was happening uh, at the same time that I was having my first two hit records after uh, 15 years in the business, you know, and, and, I, and I was beginning to wonder if I ever would have a hit record. We had scored a couple of major hits, you know, with Miami, Miami and uh, uh, 10 Feet Away, so I found very little to be disappointed about. And mainly what we try to do when we go into the studio is to record uh, quality songs, the the best possible songs that, that we can get. So uh, with the four hit records we had off that album and the two that were hits for uh, Travis and Strait and another song that was a single for about three or four other artists called Quitting Time, seven out of the ten songs on that album were hit records or singles. So that just tells me and reinforced uh, my theory that we were recording quality songs, and that's really uh, all we can do. You seem like a very happy, content man these days. Well, I'm, I'm happier, uh, Lee, than uh, I've ever been in my life. Uh, I finally got uh, my personal life uh, straightened out, and a lot of the things that, uh, that uh, dogged us for a, a few years behind us now. And, uh, of course, I'm very happily married to uh, Lori Morgan. We have uh, two uh, beautiful children and a a uh, couple of dogs that we love very much. And uh, uh, other than just uh, being a little bit overworked, uh, as you know, I uh, had to take a little time off here a couple of weeks ago, uh, uh, just about to the point of exhaustion, and uh, spend a few days uh, in the hospital and then uh, a week or so at home recuperating. Other than, than just being overworked, I, I really uh, am basically living. Uh, uh, living a dream come true. This is something that I've dreamed about since I was uh, three or four years old, and I, I couldn't be happier. Well, I think nobody could be happier for you. We're all happy for your success, Keith, and may it continue for a long time to come. Thanks for taking time out and spending it with us tonight. It's always so good to see you. It's always a pleasure to visit with you. I know when we were sitting in New York in the studio, 
uh, talking about uh, the things that we had coming up. You know, uh, I really didn't, uh, I guess I didn't expect it to, to happen as soon as it did, and it's, uh, it's certainly been great, and it's always a pleasure to visit with you. Thank you, Keith. Thank you. To this day, I'm amazed at the remarkable person Keith was. He personified a down-home disposition that won you over. When you met him for the first time, you had the feeling you'd known him for all your life. He was so down-to-earth and was never impressed with his celebrity. He treated everyone equally, whether you were a star or a fan, always smiling with a warm personality. Just an average Joe who wanted to be your friend. I often think, had he not left us so soon, what a glorious future he missed. I would put him with the likes of Hank Williams and Marty Robbins. Thanks for joining us today. This is Lee Arnold looking forward to being with you next time for Country Music Conversations. Stay healthy and remember, keep it country. <laughs>